Welcome to episode 42 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. I am your co-host, Sarah Lucas. And I'm your co-host, Mandy Kona. This is the first episode of the new year, 2020. Woo-hoo! Happy New Happy Year, 20s. everyone! Happy New Year. First episode of the new decade. I'm pretty excited to be out of the aughts and the teens. Those are just an awkward thing to say. Mm. Like, because now I can actually say things. Like, remember back in the 20s? And it makes sense again, like 80s, 90s. I was just so used to that. And then we got to the zeros, and I was like, the aughts? <laughs> right. Aughts is a terrible yeah, name, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to say they were born in the aughts. Uh, born in mid aught nine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think I almost killed I don't know Mandy. What happened there? Your your deep south showed up, and then mine did. And then <laughs> I didn't hear yours. Were you trying to reply? But oh. it was too deep southern. Oh no! It my, the laugh. It was. Oh, your laugh. Yeah. Very yeah. Nice. Very nice. And you can't live in the South the whole life without developing a couple Southern accents. It's kind of impossible. <laughs> right. All right, so tonight's topic is on effort. Effort! One of Mandy's favorite buzzwords for relationships. It is one of Mandy's needs. Mm. It's a really interesting topic. People think of it as very straightforward because I think most people think effort is good. But it turns out... It's much more complicated. I mean, I guess it's what you're putting effort into. You're putting effort into stalking someone. Not so good. Still better than low effort stalking. What? (laughs) Yeah. Burglary. (laughs) Murder. I mean, again, still better than low effort burglary. I don't know. No, uh, low effort murder is just as good as high effort murder. I don't know. It's still murder. I don't know. Uh. Maybe. I don't know if that's true. Low effort robbing is likely to end up getting someone shot. Yeah, like you go true. to the store with a gun and they're like, give me your money. Whereas like a high effort robbing is like Ocean's 13. You know, everyone just sort of oh. ninjas and all the money's gone. But but murder's murder. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It really just depends. It depends on if there's collateral damage, if other people get shot during the murder. <laughs> like, again, low effort murder, I just walk into the store with a six shooter and just start shooting people at random and hope to kill somebody that I'm trying to aim at. High effort murder seems more precise. That's all I'm saying. Like, I feel like with high effort murder, you get the person you are aiming for. Maybe you set up your family for after you go away to jail because you're a murderer, you know. I just, I think everything can be made so better the, with effort. That's all I'm saying. So the moral of the story is effort's always good. No. <laughs> The moral of the story is effort always improves things, but not necessarily how other people receive the things or experience the situation. There you go. Okay. Because when we talked about this before, the number one thing for relationship happiness is the feeling of the person in the relationship that parity exists with their partners. The parity exists? Sorry, I got lost. Yeah, so use different words, Michael. Do you not know what that word is? Is that what happened? I, I No, I don't know what that word means in that context. It's not making sense to me. Yeah, the sentence doesn't make sense to me either. Parity means when both people apply equal amounts of whatever it is. Nope. A parody is a, a funny. Not parody, parity. Oh, a parity, okay. Okay, you didn't pronounce it correctly then. We heard parody. I don't know that parity and parody is much different in American English where you pronounce T's like D's, Miss Butter. I'm just saying, if Sarah and I were confused, most people are going to be confused. So you guys do know what the word parody means? We do now. (laughs) Well, yeah, like a P-A-R-O-G-Y? No, P-A-R-I-T-Y, the state or condition of being equal, especially regarding status or pay. Okay, now say your your original sentence again. Like the opposite of disparity. Uh, Okay, all right, all right. Now, 
See, I've never heard the word parody, but I've heard disparity. Yeah, disparity is based on right. the word parody. That's right. Right. So I get it yeah. now. Okay. Makes yeah. sense. Okay. Oh, funny note. In the dictionary, it just says right here, parody is some kind confused with parody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like tonight. So apparently that's a thing that happens. I've never had that experience. But yes, parity, P-A-R-I-T-Y, okay. for our listeners, <laughs> is the number one determination of whether or not people are satisfied in relationships. Okay. The number one determiner okay. for if people are satisfied in relationships. And not just parody, of course, but perceived parody, as always okay. we say perceived. So basically, if you feel like you give to your partner the amount they give to you, that's the most relationship satisfaction you can have in a relationship. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, agreed. And I think, I mean, again, these are studies from, I think, primarily America or Western countries. And... I don't know that parity is an important or good system for determining the value of a relationship, but it makes a lot of sense with the scripts that we've all grown up with why that might be something that people look for. Because one, if you do think of the monogamous marketplace where you're trying to buy the best thing that your quality can buy. The monogamous marketplace. I love that phrase. Thank you. You don't want to get something too much better than you because then they're going to cheat or leave you or it's too good to be true or there's something wrong that you don't see right. or something, right? Like the same way that if you walk into a store and they're like, hey, look at this six carat diamond ring for $200. You're like, mm, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, right. I don't know what that is, but no. <laughs> Just, I'm sure that's a no. You get a date on your level, marry on your level. Right. They feel like there's just no way that it's just not tenable. Like they assume they're going to lose yeah. that relationship. Right. And so that's really interesting. And I wonder how much that is potentially different in non-monogamous relationships because you're not competing in a marketplace. I mean, you, you sort of still are because of the whole time is limited concept and polysaturation concept. So there's still the thought that I mean, people could still be could be running the thought like I don't deserve you. I've definitely not pursued someone because I felt like they were out of my league. Can you tell me more about why? I've never had that experience and I'm curious what it feels like. Um, well, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but like every good movie, it actually ended up uh, with a type of relationship with that person. What was the feeling though? Like, was, what was the thought process? Where you like, what, what was it? I mean, because these just this is just another human being, right? So they're not like magical or anything. So what was the thought process? They were they were actually a friend of mine, uh-huh. like a good friend of mine, and he and I had always been friends, mm-hmm. and we'd been friends for a couple years. Like, I was always attracted to him, mm-hmm. but I I honestly always thought he was out of my league. Mm-hmm. So I never pursued it. And then he kind of started flirting with me one day. Huh. And I actually, like, I looked at, at one of my other partners. I looked at, it was Jerry. I looked at Jerry and I said, I, I think that he's flirting with me. And he was like, well, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, that's weird. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to think about that. Then I kind of... I went to another friend and I said, Hey, so I think that this guy's flirting with me and I really like him, but I don't know. It's weird. Cause he's so out of my league and she thought I was crazy too. And ended up uh, apparently he is not, but like <laughs> it, it just never crossed my mind. Like I always looked at him and thought, Oh, he's just out of my league. So I never even pursued it. Well, I feel like it's, it's that, it's that modern normative programming still there. Mm-hmm you know, with people. And, and so, and with me, I think that was just something that had stuck around that I didn't realize had stuck around. One of those unexamined scripts. Right. That we always, that we always talk about. And 
I say that it sucked, but I didn't really know any difference. So I can't, I don't, I want to take that back because I didn't know any difference. It was just what it was. You know what I mean? Was there a moment where you actually thought, I would like to flirt with him, but I shouldn't because they're out of my league? Like, did you have that conscious thought? Or are you saying it was more sort of, it sounded almost like it was an unconscious, like, ever-present to the point that you didn't even think about it being there? Um, maybe, like, like fleeting thoughts? Just, but I don't ever remember, like, sitting and having the the thought process. Mm -hmm. But I can remember multiple times being attracted to him and not flirting with him Mm -hmm. because I just assumed I was not, like, in his league. Hmm. And I'd seen other girls... Mm-hmm. other females that he had dated and i didn't i didn't feel like, like i was measured up yeah in what way did you not measure up to them oh they were all much prettier and much your classic look you know they were skinnier and you know more in shape so it was mostly looks it was yeah, mostly yeah. a looks kind of scenario mm-hmm. like i said come to find out at the end of the <laughs> movie <laughs> mm-hmm. it that wasn't the case at all and sure. he had found me attractive for a long time, and just never pursued it because he didn't think I was Aww. interested. That is mm-hmm. a cute movie. So, <laughs> it's... <laughs> but it wasn't... And it's not... We don't have, like, a relationship, like, a romantic relationship now. But, you know, we we did for a minute. And he's very much still in my life, so it didn't screw anything up. So, nice. for my me, my experience, I had a very distinct experience. I met someone, walked away. I remember thinking, God, he was so hot. And then I was like, oh, he's a plant. He's the kind of person that is stu- placed in the place where he is so that he can lure people in to the setting. And then I had to go back about where he was to do something else in that area. And that's when he started talking to me. And then we had a relationship off and on for a year and I still, the entire time, never felt like I was good enough for him. I just had such an inferiority complex because I felt like he was so much hotter and he was wittier and I just felt so inferior. Did you break up with him or did he break up with you? He broke up with me. Well, actually, we kind of broke up with each other, but then like we we still had a thing, but then he faded. But he didn't actually break up with you, sort of faded out. More or less. But what was the broke up with each other like? We were long distance toward the end. And so it was like we kind of agreed that nothing would continue because we would never live in the same area at the same time. Yeah. And long and the long distance is there is, is an interesting interference because the, the statistics say that in that situation, the person that ends up doing the breaking is actually the person that feels inferior. Yeah. But statistically, if you're in a relationship where one person feels inferior to the other, it's that person that ends up being the person. Interesting. Yeah, because you don't want to get hurt. So you do it first. See, that's so interesting. I felt the opposite. It de- I was afraid that I was going to get hurt. But at the same time, I was like, okay, but even if I get hurt from this, it's going to be worth my time in the meantime, is the way I felt about it. Well, that's not everybody. Yeah. It's True. certainly not everybody that does that. I guess statistic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But, but the, the, the preponderance is mm-hmm. the other way. The other reason is because you, as the person who feel inferior, are aware of that tension. And generally speaking, the person that, y- that you think is superior is not aware of the tension. Right. They wouldn't be dating you if they felt superior to you 
right. and felt like you weren't worth their time and effort, right? People are dating you because they enjoy dating you. Right. right. So what happens is the person that's dating you is like, everything's fine. And the person who f- thinks that there's this scale of people and that they're not high enough on that scale of people and the other person is superior in a bunch of ways is constantly worrying about it. Yeah. That wasn't really effort. We're going to get back to effort. Yeah, but, that was uh, kind of a side note. <laughs> well, but, but it can be, right? It can yeah. be. So if you're in a relationship where you're putting in tons and tons of effort and the other person is not, it, it upsets that parity. It can upset that parity. It can push you out of that space. So it can push you into a space where the other person feels bad. And we also have some other cultural scripts about how if someone does something for you, you have to do something for them. Yeah. And we've talked about that before, the the weirdness that is the situation where... I mean, I guess we talked about it from the perspective of a person that doesn't understand that script, like my childhood where my brother would do a lot of things for me and then he would say, well, I did all these things I didn't want to do for you, so now you have to do this thing I like you don't want to do. God, I hate that. And I'd go, wait, but you never told me we were doing that. I thought you wanted to do that with me. I wouldn't have made you do that if I knew you didn't want to, and I definitely didn't want to owe you for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. That um, The expectations there... The quid, I hate the quid pro quo. Anything quid pro quo just like drives me crazy. Because it drives me crazy, I do my best to make sure everything that I do is more of a gift to, to not put that pressure on people. And it's so weird that that's something that's kind of a standard in our culture is, is the, some form of a quid pro quo in all relationships. Yeah, and we talked about that in the gift giving episodes where mm-hmm. we talked about I remember that. You should always do everything that you do for people on the assumption that you're, it's worth it to you to do it, not yeah. for what you'll get back in the long run. Yeah, right. I actually had a conversation today over lunch about this. A friend of mine at work has been riding to work with another coworker for about a year. And the driver has never asked for anything, but my friend that's been riding along has given her 50 bucks every other week to Mm -hmm. for her to do this and i kind of went wow you're on her way why would you give her that money like that's a hundred dollars a month to make the drive she's already driving Mm -hmm. sure like she's on the way you know she's not going out of her way at all to pick this other person up and i was like that's that's to me that's a lot of money a month to give somebody who's making the drive anyway every day yeah that's more than you would pay if you were to do it yourself well it's definitely not more than you'd pay if you did it yourself but it depends yeah to me, it's a lot of money. Just for perspective, in a month, that's four and a half weeks times five, right? So 23 right. days, basically. That's mm-hmm. $100 a month. Assuming it takes 10 extra minutes minimum to go out of your way, stop and pick that person up. That's like 240 minutes, let's say, which is four hours. Build at $15 an hour would be $60. And I'm sure they make at least $15 an hour at their job. So, I mean, hmm. it's actually not like a lot to give them during that same time period. They're friends also, too. Right, right. I I, I don't think they're obligated to do that. But I'm saying, like, I also, at the same time, wouldn't say that that was, like, a huge amount of money. Right. To give for the amount of time the the person's putting into coming to get you and taking you to work. And cars are incredibly expensive. Like, people forget that even though, you know, the the U.S. Tax Bureau rates a a mile driven is, like, a dollar and 26 cents or something. So not having to drive your car to and from work every day is saving you, like, 10, 20 bucks a day. Right. (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. and in, in that, because that includes, you know, long-term car repairs, rent on the, you know, mortgage on the car, whatever you're paying, um, leasing, whatever you're doing, and then the taxes and the titles and the fees and all the rest. Right. I mean, it's, it really is a great deal for that person. They're saving a huge amount of money and they're in a sense sort of splitting it with the person who's taking them in and allowing that to happen. But sorry, go ahead. Well, she just, I asked her why, 
she did it because the, the the drivers never asked for anything and she said that she doesn't ever because she's had it happen to her want a favor that somebody's done for her to come back to her like she owes them something mm. sure like the person like i've been driving you to work for three years and you can't do x right for me. Mm-hmm. and that's yeah. that's why she gives her the money because she doesn't ever want somebody to say well you owe me right it keeps it even right yeah so i just thought that was kind of what you were saying mm-hmm. sure you know, to not have the upper hand almost right so for some people when someone keeps doing things for them and doing things for them and doing things for them and they don't feel like they're doing enough for that person it becomes stressful because they feel like they have to find the time to do these things like do some sort of things for their partner or not be good enough and then on the flip side of that it can become a source of resentment for people who do stuff and do stuff and do stuff and do stuff if the other person does well i mean it's different per person but we'll call it below a critical threshold of things back So, like, if you're putting out tons and tons of effort and the person you're putting that effort towards is doing nothing, it can be very difficult not to be resentful about it. So I can, you know, I can sort of see both sides of that being an issue. And for people who like doing effort, it's actually, it's very, it's a very, it can be a very difficult catch-22 for us to navigate because we want to do all that stuff, but eventually it's hard not to be resentful. Mm-hmm. Like if you're doing a ton of stuff for your partners and they do nothing. Because we don't understand why they don't want to put that effort in too. Yeah. Well, and also because for people who are usually very effortful, it's because like for us, when we experience a certain set of emotions, it makes us want to put out effort. Right. We do the thing that everyone does where you can only read other people by yourself for the most part or take their word for it. Mm-hmm. And so we start to wonder like, do they even like us? Like they never seem to be motivated to do things for us. So mm-hmm. they must not really care about us or be that into us or we're not creating that much emotional excitement in them because why aren't they doing anything? Exactly. So many of the feels right there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it gets very complex on both sides. You have the, the risk of overbalancing that equation. So let's start with that one. So first of all, I don't believe in any such thing as better than other people. Like out of my league is not a concept that I that I understand. Must be nice. Because... <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I mean the other way. Like when people come to you and are like, oh, I thought you were out of my league or you are out of my league or. Oh, yeah, I definitely know, don't. to date me or. No. Now, the other way around, I've never felt that. I've never felt like I was out of someone's league. Is that what you're saying? Well, right. And most people have not. I mean, I know I'm sure there's people in movies we see all the time. And I'm sure somebody says I'm out of your league, but mm. I'm guessing that comes from some sort of emotional place of insecurity, not right. a due and deep sense that that other person is out of their league. I mean, there are people that I'm not attracted to, but it's not like I'm not attracted to you because I'm out of your league. I'm not attracted to you because we just don't have the things that I find compatible to make me interested in this particular romantic relationship. Right. As we've discussed before, that's the thing, right? Someone not wanting to date you is not a rejection of you. It's not a rejection of you as a person. It's not a judgment of you as a person. It is a judgment of that person's compatibility with you. And then, in fact, not even that, their perception of their current compatibility potential with you. They think their square doesn't fit in your circle. Right. So I've never understood that because you do see people say things like, why should I even ask them out? I'm out of their league. And first of all, even in monogamous culture, we know that's not true. You know, when when you read interviews with like starlets, like uh, Julia Roberts is sort of one of the standards, right? She didn't successfully date until she was like 23 because all of the people were afraid to ask her out because she was so gorgeous. They all assumed it was pointless. Mm-hmm. And in fact, basically, if anyone had asked her out, she said she would have gone out with them because no one ever asked her out. 
<laughs> you know, that she's just a freaking human being that's at your high school. And all the boys are like, oh, that girl's the most gorgeous person in high school. So there's no point in talking to her. She's right. clearly never going to want to go out with me. <laughs> but that person's a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have a need for long-term bonding and support and emotional engagement. And, and that's the thing is that, you know, if you ask them out and they say no, well then, okay. But if they say yes, then that's because they wanted to go out with you. Mm. And then obviously there's context. So obviously don't be coercive or anything. But <laughs> if, you, if you have a regular engagement with that person, that's a standard level of non-coercive behavior and they're continuing to date you, then that person is not getting up in the morning and going, what am I doing? This person is terrible, right? Because then they would just break up with you. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to a friend the other day, and they said words that were incomprehensible to me, where they were saying, like, one of the reasons they don't date a lot is because they feel like they don't have a lot to offer other people. Hmm. And I was like, okay, well, why don't you ask people out and see if they think that you have a lot to offer them? I've actually asked a guy out and gotten that response from him. Really? I just don't feel like I have enough to offer you. I'm like, I, I think that should probably be up to me. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? Yeah, for that, sure. That should probably be my decision if I don't feel. But it's that like fear of not being enough and fear of being put out because somebody figures out that you're not enough. Yeah, yeah, that's such a weird one to me that the the imposter syndrome that people have when they don't even appear to be trying to be imposters. Mm-hmm. Although that one at least I understand because a lot of that tends to be built inside of trauma. Like if there's a, a type of trauma that made you feel worthless, then it's very difficult for you to believe that you're not worthless. And you see memes about that on the internet, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm so worthless and I'm such a horrible manipulative person. My friend, no, you're great, me. Oh, no, I've manipulated them. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You must be falling for my magic. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that was so funny. (laughs) That was a good, I mean, it's a good joke. I don't know if it's that good, but it's good. This went off a lot better than the last time I tried to tell a meme on this show. I actually ended up cutting that because we were so confused for so long. (laughs) And I was like, this is is bad. (laughs) But yeah, so that's a fascinating issue. But it was bizarre because I was asking them about, I was like, but you know, and it was like really weird because I was trying to help them out. I was like, well, but you know, you know, you're smarter than the average person and you're like nicer than the average person. Again, I don't believe in in weighing or scaling people, but if someone comes to me and says, I can't date because my weight, like my scale is too low. And by the traditional measures, they, you know, they, they measure up. I'm going to at least start with, but you measure up and see what the issue is. Because then Mm -hmm. I, then it tells me something like, their reasoning is not logical. Their reasoning right. is some sort of bizarre emotional blockage. You know, so I went through all those things and they were like, yeah, I know, but I'm not comparing myself to the other people they could be dating. I'm like, you're not? What are you comparing what? yourself to? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I misheard you. And they were like, I'm comparing myself to them being alone. And I was like, that's such a self-harsh. I've never heard anyone Gosh. be that mean to themselves yeah. in my entire like, life. I'm like, worse than alone. <laughs> Yikes. Does, yeah, poor thing. But also, so is everybody else. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty grim view of dating in general, really, yeah. in the sense that apparently the majority of people are worse than being alone. But I was like, but the thing is I don't get is how are you making that decision? Right. You know, if, if you ask the person out and they're like, yeah, cool, like, then they're deciding that spending time with you is an improvement over spending time alone. So why does it matter if you think that spending time with you, like, you're not dating you. Other mm-hmm. people are dating you. God, I'd never date me. 
<laughs> I feel like I never date me either. <laughs> I feel like such a mess. <laughs> People but do like, it. The I'm guy like, that why? I asked out that says that he doesn't have anything to, to bring to the table. He doesn't know what was his, his exact words. They were something like, I don't know what I would bring to the relationship. Yeah, what does that even mean? Right. Oh, and he said that he doesn't, he just doesn't understand why I would want to date him. And like, until like he gets it, he doesn't think that he will bring anything to the relationship. So weird. It pissed me off. I'm not going to lie. It's like tragic, really. I mean, I felt that sometimes and the times that I feel that strongest are the times where I'm really kind of emotionally not in a good, happy place because I just feel like such shit about myself that I don't feel like anyone could think anything about me other than I'm shit. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think that's where his mental state lives. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it sucks because he's an amazing Mm guy. Like I, he's hilarious and tells great stories and I find him incredibly attractive. And that's why you wanted to go out with him. (laughs) I mean, I've told him all those things and he just, he says he doesn't get it. And I I do think some of that's, that's that scripting about how we sell ourselves in relationships that even if we're in non-monogamous relationships, we still think of us as sort of buying the other person's time or interest or Mm -hmm. the time that they're giving us with this, value exchange right that we get talked about we get told about that we're supposed to engage in fuck this is all like kind of new thoughts for me i never really thought about buying someone's time and now i'm trying to figure out where the scripts for that particular behavior comes from my mind is blown literally everything in monogamy and every video ever you ever see a glow up you ever see a movie where the person starts not attractive enough and then goes and works out and gets a degree and gets a great job and then comes back to the small town that they weren't popular and gets the hottest person in town. Like Interesting. Huh. I mean, it's, it's everywhere, right? Maybe I'm just really tired. It just didn't realize how deep that, that was rooted in me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm above such petty things, I guess, and I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I, see, this is the thing that I don't get. You got people that say sentences like, I'm above petty things like this, followed by, I don't know why anyone would want to date me. What? <laughs> how, do you, how do you hold those conflicting views that you're so good at life that you just avoided the pettiness in it, but also are not worth dating for most people? Because I'm that so doesn't... arrogant that I think I'm, I'm above being petty. That's what it is. Oh, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, maybe this is just me being tired and like I can't follow a train of thought or I'm not seeing the big picture. Thanks. Not if you've never thought about it that way before. That just means you haven't thought about it that way. Right. I don't yeah. think most people have. I mean, this is really common. If it wasn't okay. really common, we wouldn't have made it a topic. We wouldn't yeah. be like, five people have this problem. Yeah, maybe it's Only just me made it part of the architecture. <laughs> But it's so, it's, a, it's so fucking confusing when you get broken up with for being quote unquote too good. And I can all like, and it's funny because I know people do that because I've had friends do that to other people as well. But like in the moment as the person being broken up with, by the way, if you're ever going to break up with someone for be- them being too good, don't fucking tell them that. Right. Because in the moment, every single person that's ever heard that sentence thinks that they did something horrible and you hate them but you didn't feel like having the fight with them about it, so you made up a lie. Uh. Because that's the weirdest reason to be broken up with ever. Yeah. You were too good of a value proposition. Mm-hmm. I got too much out of dating you. What? Yeah. So you stopped going to this restaurant because the food's too good? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and maybe it's true. Dirty. <laughs> 
<laughs> you stopped eating at my restaurant because the food's too good. <laughs> and, and maybe it, maybe it's even not a lie, but it, no one's ever going to be able to believe that as the thing that you told them. Right. Yeah. Like everyone that you tell that to definitely does not take that as a compliment and think that things are good. They either, just like I said, assume that there's something horrible going on and you don't have the sort of courage to tell them what they did wrong. Or it's just horrible. Like you're like, wait, but there's this person and I totally want to be with them and all I want is to be with them. And they think I'm amazing. So amazing that they don't think they can be with me. What what kind of Twilight Zone fucking horror shit show did I just end up in in this universe? that I can't date someone because I accidentally did too much qualification work. <laughs> yeah. Before we started going out. I've been broken up with because I was more successful than the other person and they resented me mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. So Sure. Well, and that's a particularly standard gender issue in America for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. It's a gender script issue. Cuz we definitely tell people that if you don't make more than the woman you're dating, you're not a man. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. And I think I'm biased now because for sure if I ever, I'm not a woman, so I will never have that problem. But if I ever was in the situation of being a woman in America and the person didn't want to date me because I made too much money, I would be like, well, that is a favor that you are doing me because you are clearly stuck in some really horrible leave it to beaver 1950s gender role construct stuff. Seriously. It wasn't even just the money though. It was just a successful career, like a stable, I was happy in my job and they struggled. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even, it was, I don't even think it was, it was the money so much as it was, I had my shit together and they didn't. Mm -hmm. so and i can see that and that's interesting uh, it's interesting that i can see that so maybe this is helping me see the side that i couldn't see before because i can see feeling like you're a financial weight around someone's neck right i don't know that's interesting because i don't think that's a script i think that's because we live in a, a capitalist dystopia that will literally let you starve to death for not being able to make a certain amount of money yeah so when you're the single greatest thing danger in your life will always be financial stability in america unless you're a part of a very small like 10 15 of the population then i can see how it's going to be really hard to bring additional financial stability instability to someone else's life especially someone in mandy's position who has kids and dependents and a, a wide network that rely on on you that pulling from that could be emotionally very draining to get up every day and be like, that's okay that I do that. I think that gets to be my decision, though, whether I'm okay with it or not. And I was mm -hmm. never asked if I was okay with it or not. Yeah, no, I agree that that still gets to be your decision. I'm just saying I can understand why that's emotionally taxing. Right. In a way that I don't understand. People are like, oh, but you're just so nice. I feel bad dating you or something. You're like, you're, you know, like. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get that. You're so smart. <laughs> or you're so creative. Or you're so interesting. You know, like those sort of, like the guy that was like, I don't have anything to offer you. Like that right. guy. Like that, that to me makes less sense than I'm worried I'm a financial weight around your neck. Because one of those is a real life issue. Don't you feel like that's kind of the same thing? Like you don't think that the, the financial person, the financial partner didn't feel like maybe he didn't have anything to offer and he was weighting me down? It depends, right? So it depends on if it's an actual concern or a constructed concern. So if you were like a millionaire, I would agree with you. Yeah. Like if you were, you know, mm -hmm. you, you were set for life financially, I mean, you know, you weren't that rich. If you just, you know, made, you know, six figures a year or more or whatever, and you had a good savings and a, a nice 401k going and right. you're I was on track to meet yeah. all of your collegiate goals for your kids and all that kind of stuff. And that person was like, well, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, it's too much work for you. And you're like, well, nah, like I have disposable income and I wanted to spend it on that. And you never asked me. That's all about 
the aesthetic preferences you have for your life, where by aesthetic, I, I, this is the thing I've been meaning to introduce for a while, but by aesthetic, I kind of mean like the way you'd like your life to go as opposed to an actual ethics consideration. Okay. Like I'm not actually harming you or your family or participating in you harming you or your family. I just think that, you know, like a you know, a man should be responsible for his wealth. You know, like, like that's an aesthetic preference about how you think the world ought to be. And I'm not giving you the choice to weigh in on how you think the world ought to be. So we're not creating our combined like aesthetic world together, like a relationship ought to do, but instead I am deciding it for you. Right. Whereas on the other side, you are, you are in a situation where you do have financial needs. I've seen you be financially stressed. It is a thing where when you are financially stressed, that person could look at it and go, if I wasn't here, they wouldn't feel like that right now. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be right that your life would be better. That's not their call. But they are right that that financial stress could be them if they're a financial stressor. Right. Okay. Right. So that's an actual pain they're causing, which is different than just not living up to my own expectations of myself and not letting you decide whether or not that matters to you. Yeah, but I think that I should be able to decide whether that pain is worth it, though. I agree. I think you should. But this is, again, sort of that, like, if we're in that gray area. Yeah. For me, that's more in the direction of understandable in our gray area. Okay. I'll give you that. You know, I, but I do, I do think that even with that, you should let the other person make that decision. And, I, you know, and I... I, that is something I do often feel, you know, less than superior about. I don't have an insane earning potential right now. Uh, maybe one day I will, but I spend a significant amount of my portion on free stuff like philosophy and ethics and relationship advice. <laughs> like podcasts. Um, <laughs> like podcasts. Uh, so for sure I'll go, hey, partners, are you guys still feeling good about like the ones that I'm living with, my financial contributions to this situation. <laughs> and, you know, I let them tell me yes. And I go, okay. <laughs> like, go back to there was these, your out. These, these podcasts. <laughs> you know, so I, I do think you do have to let them make that decision in the end, you know, if, well, because you are, you know, hopefully you're bringing something. Well, and this is the question though, right? I do think it would be very hard for me to accept. I can't imagine that kind of lifestyle though, but I was going to say, I still feel like I'm bringing something to the relationship, though, right? Right. I feel like doing this work is important, and even though they are doing work-a-day, payday stuff, they get to feel like they're participating in this important ethics work by financially supporting it, Mm. you know, or supporting me. And I think that that it it loops back around to the effort, where it doesn't always have to be monetary effort. Right. That may have been putting a financial strain on me, but there were other ways to put effort into the relationship that would have relieved other strains. So maybe yeah, I could right. focus sure. more on the financial strain and put more of my effort into that if other things were yeah. being taken care of or helped, effort was being put into sure. that. That's the next thing, of course, is that when we say relationship parity, we don't mean one for one, like we are equally attractive, we are equal earners, we are, we mean that when you look at the structure, everybody feels like they're putting in the right amount, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So maybe you earn more, but they, maybe they orchestrate all like the cool fun dates and surprises and, you know, makes you feel good when you come home at the end of the day mm-hmm. in order to make up that difference or... Or you're a great cook, so you cook all the food and yeah. Sure. Whatever it is that makes up makes you feel like there's that, that evenness in what you're contributing is, is statistically very important to success. But I think, I think that's actually a problem. <laughs> like... 
I don't think that's how relationships should function. And I, I don't think it's a like a human way of viewing relationships, although I have no evidence for that. I think it's a particularly capitalistic way of viewing relationships. And I think it's about living in a society that says we're trading value for value and time for value in every situation that we're in that causes those interactions. Because like I said, I've never met once met anybody who was excited about that exchange structure. Like I've never met anybody who was like, ah, oh, that's the greatest. Then I can put in tons of extra effort and then that makes them put in more extra effort and then we all win. Like <laughs> it yeah. motivates them to put in more effort. I've never, I've never run into that human being and I've never run into anybody that's like, I know it's weird because I know you see stuff about people saying like, I'm better than this person or I'm better than that person, but I've never had a friend have that conversation with me. Like I've never had a friend be like, well, I wouldn't date them because I'm better than them. Yeah, I don't... It's like a thing I see in shows and movies, but it's not Mm -hmm. a thing I've experienced. Hmm. And I think the fact that all three of us haven't experienced that makes me really wonder about its validity. So... I... I've heard you say friend. I've never had a friend say it, but I've heard (laughs) other people say it in social Uh settings. Sure. I think that that just speaks to the people who we call friends wouldn't (laughs) say things like that. But it could also speak to performativity. You know, that in general, jokes in our society have a hard edge. You know, the funnier jokes or more, you know, daring jokes edgy, have sort yeah. of a, yeah, they're edgy. And uh, so saying something like, well, I'm better than those people can, can be a joke in our society or it can be, it can be something covering up your own uh, insecurities. Like if you're actually very insecure, you might say something like that mm-hmm. so that you don't look insecure. You know, because I'm sure my friends might have said something like that in maybe a public setting, but I'm talking about like their actual feelings about a situation. I've never once, I definitely not wanted to date people, but I've never once not wanted to date someone because they were below me. Like, yeah. yeah. In fact, my biggest issue when I don't want to date someone is, oh, I don't want them to feel like they're below me, but I don't want to date them. How do I make that work? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Because I don't want them to feel bad. Like, I don't want them to self-judge about it. Like, I want them to understand that it's just that there's something about, like, our compatibility that isn't there for me. And it's not, like, a value judgment. Right. You know, I'm not looking at them and going, oh, what a waste of human time and space. Like, Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I was, there's almost no way we'd be close enough that they would think that they should ask me on a date. Like, we wouldn't be in, yeah. you know, like, we wouldn't spend enough time near each other to have that interaction if I thought that they were terrible. So then what is your answer to feeling like somebody's not putting any effort into a relationship? Oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> we're doing we're doing effort today. I forgot. Oh, we're doing okay. a podcast. So, <laughs> well no, I mean we're not we're not we're not because well so when we pitched this, we were talking about effort and I was saying it would be really interesting to look at effort and Mandy was like, Oh yeah, like how to get people to put in effort and how effort works and I was like, No, like why you shouldn't care if the other person isn't putting in effort and how much it sucks to be seen as having too much effort. Right. So we have two different sort of podcasts and I keep doing Well, I want to know how so, to not care if someone's putting effort in. Sure. Like that's, I, I would yeah. love to fix yeah, yeah. that about me for sure. Because I feel like when I put effort into something, I want to see people put effort into it too. I want to see, I want to see that it matters to them as much as it matters to me. And that's how we gauge that is by the effort that's put in. So I want to know how to not gauge it by that. Sure. And to lose that construct. Yeah. Okay. So. That's where our two ideas meet. (laughs) Yeah, that is, that is the place. And it's a good, it's a really good, it's an important question. So firstly, you know, we, we have to go back and ground it a little bit in that idea that when you do something, you should only be choosing to do things that 
meet your needs in the doing of them, not in an anticipated reward from another. Because you cannot control or guarantee that reward. Right. Right. I don't think that that's why I put effort in. Right. We'll get back to that in a minute. So that's okay. that's, but that's a first element. Okay. I'm not saying that's why we put effort in, but I think at some level it is also... Like, it is also why we put effort in, if that makes sense. Like, we want not the reward of the other person necessarily doing effort back, but we want... So, like... So I had this experience where I was trying to spend a lot of time trying to figure out one of my partner's needs or likes or whatever. And I was trying to do it, I think, when I really thought about it because I felt like I wanted to make them really happy with me because if I'm really happy with someone, I don't know if I was doing it because I wanted them to do things for me, but I did want them to be really happy with me and I specifically wanted them to display that in a way that I could read. And I think that's the where the resentment comes in because the way that you read them being happy with you is, is effort. the effort coming yep. back from the situation. But that may not be how they show exuberance, right? So you may still be really lighting up their life, so to speak, but they don't necessarily reciprocate it in the kind of effort, val- like effortful way that you just naturally would mm-hmm. in the return scenario. And so it's not that you were looking for them to give you things for getting things sake. It wasn't like you were like, well, I did three massages, I get three massages. Mm-hmm. It was more like... I get three massages, so you should be bubbly with effervescent wonder about me, and then that would result in things. And that's what's missing. That's the thing that you were expecting right. to get out of the scenario. So you didn't, in a sense, cause, because if you weren't expecting anything, then the resentment wouldn't make sense. Right. Right. The, the resentment has to come from a f- sense that, that there is an unfairness. I mean, that's right. the very nature of the concept of resentment. So when I say putting effort in, it feels like you're, like, I, sometimes, like, I'm the only one working on the relationship. So I'm going to need to get a little bit more specific to help you workshop this particular issue. So what do you mean by you're the only one? Can you talk about what kind of effort we're talking about here? Like, what do you mean by the only one working on the relationship? Like the only one trying to spend time with the other one and the only one making plans and the only one going out of their way to to make things work. Mm-hmm to talk about the problems that are being had and trying to fix situations that maybe are not in the best way. Sure, no, I, I can relate to that. See, and, and I don't mean effort so much as like, I did the dishes last night, you should do the dishes tonight. Sure. Or I did the dishes, you should clean the toilet. I just mean like, because time is effort as well. So that kind of... No, no, I get what you're saying. Let, let me try and run one, like a sort of scenario by you. Okay. I personally am a... The, of the belief, as you should all know, that everything can be better than it is. Yeah, absolutely. That, like, part of being a person is this journey of growth that we're on. And so we're like, okay, well, my relationship's pretty cool, but I see a lot of things that could be even cooler that I could learn how to do that I want to work on with my partner. And I, you know, I assume that they have growth goals that they want to work on with me. And after a while, you know, it feels like we're not doing any of those things. And I'm telling my partner, like, well, hey, how can I find time to communicate this with you? How can I have this conversation with you? And I can't even seem to find a way to have even the conversation. Like, they want to give me the time to have the conversation about the thing that I'm that I'm talking about. And then finally, I just throw my hands up and I'm just like, I'm really, I'm really unhappy. Like, we haven't grown at all in months and I really want to work on things and I feel like you just don't even care And my partner's response was, I feel like I'm always blindsided when this happens, that I think things are going great, that my partner said this, my partner said they think things are going great, and then I'm suddenly like, everything's falling apart. 
<laughs> and so they don't even know that there's a problem, that mm-hmm. somehow I'm failing to even communicate in a way that they can hear that there's mm-hmm. even a problem for them to put that reciprocal effort in because they are happy with the relationship as it is. So it doesn't occur to them to do that because that's just not the sort of trajectory that they're on. And it's sort of the opposite of what you were saying. Like, I still feel like I should have been consulted before he broke up with me for financial reasons. And I think there's a thing where maybe the issue is that the other person doesn't, maybe they don't want the kind of relationship that you want if that's what's happening. Right. Well, I mean, when it all boiled down, I think that that's exactly what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Maybe you weren't on the same page. You know, this is that we've always about relationship agreements, right? But this is maybe they, they weren't on the same page about sort of what you wanted out of the relationship and what the other person wanted to put into the relationship. Mm-hmm. So, and this is the my, my PSA: don't be, don't get abused moment. So we keep saying, I keep, I'm going to say a lot of stuff today, like you know, well, you have to do things even if they're not going to, you know, respond to you, and it has to do it because it would be something that would be worth it to you even if they didn't respond to you. But that's the thing is, if you look at it and go, I don't see a way to be in this relationship and be happy then that's not a good match again not necessarily judgment on the other person but maybe you're just not compatible right you know if you want to be in the kind of relationship that's always growing and the other person just wants to be in a relationship that it gets to good enough and then just chills then you have to ask yourself if you still want to be in that kind of relationship because that's what they're offering mm-hmm. yeah. you know and you can have a you can also have a discussion with them and you can say I hear that you're offering this. I kind of only want to do this relationship if we can keep growing together. Is that worth it to you? And they can decide whether or not they want to do that extra work or not. And if they're like, no, then it's sort of back in your court. And then you have to decide, well, is them being them being good enough, not ever putting in this extra effort that I want them to put in Mm -hmm. good enough for me? And then you just have to eventually realize that basically you've been resentful because you've been deciding in your own head what kind of relationship person they should be. Right. Those expectations were set and you didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. you had these hidden self-set expectations that you never communicated, that they never agreed to, and they weren't meeting them without ever even knowing they had them. And you're not happy about that. Right. And the way that you work on that is you have to keep having those discussions in whatever format you can have those discussions in. For some people, you know, I would suggest if you're, you know, in that kind of situation, you either set up some sort of weekly time to talk about it or you go to couples therapy. You know, especially if you can find a good poly-friendly counselor, but, or if your relationship is in structured in such a way that you think you can go to a counselor without having to delve too far into that. Because a lot of times you can go to a regular relationship counselor, I think, if your issue is entirely dyadic. Right. For a lot of regular relationship issues. <laughs> yeah, if your issue is they're not putting in enough effort, and right. it's not, they're putting in more effort to other partners, right. then you can just go to a counselor and go, they're not putting in enough effort. Or we have a mismatch in the amount of effort we'd like. Can we discuss with you what a good halfway point for both of us is that keeps us happy? Because neither of us want to break up. We really enjoy this relationship. But they feel like they could do a little bit more, and I feel like I could accept a little bit less. So can you help us navigate that that compromise space right. where we're both going to be happier than we are right now? Mm-hmm. The other thing that, the thing that I wanted to talk about, I guess, and I think this would also be helpful for you if this was a skill set that the people that you're displaying effort to could learn as I wanted to talk about can you teach them receiving <laughs> I, I haven't listened to this episode or call me but I wanted to talk to them about receiving effort that one of the things that I have learned as a person who is very effortful is that half the time people are so bad at receiving that by the time they finally receive it it feels like they did you a favor by letting you you do work for them mm-hmm. I, was, I used to work at Starbucks and I used to hate coffee now I love coffee but I hated coffee at the time and you get a pound of coffee every week for free at Starbucks 
And there was what? a random customer, and they were in there, and they were having a bad day. And I was like, here, have a pound of coffee. And they were like, oh, my God, I couldn't. And I was like, no, no, I really want to give it to you. We got one for free. It's not a huge deal. And they're like, I could not do that. Like, it's yours. I was like, no, I don't even like coffee. And they were like, no, really? And they went on for like five minutes. By the time they took <laughs> it, like, it was so, like, it, it had sapped all the joy out of the gesture. Right. Interesting. You know, that, like, I felt like, you know, it almost felt like I had, Just like, take the I shoved it coffee. on them. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, that I had, that, like, I almost had forced it on them. It wasn't worth it at that point, I'm sure. Yeah, like, right. And so... So, I mean, yeah, I, I talk about how when you do a gesture, the gesture itself should be rewarding, like what you get out of it should be rewarding in and of itself. But that's sort of, that is something that can be sort of sidetracked by someone who's particularly bad at receiving things. So like your, your friend that like always pays $50, for instance, mm-hmm. must be terrible at receiving, like because they don't ever want to be in anybody's pocket, so to speak. Like I right. assume that that was what's going on in this customer's concept is they were worried that they would owe me. And so they had to basically get me to verbally, contractually agree that, in fact, I would owe them for taking this coffee from me because, yeah. <laughs> because of how grateful they were, you know, how grateful I would be to be able to help them make their day, you know. And that sort of completely demolishes the joy that's there. But then, of course, that's on you to notice that's happening and to decide to, to again, negotiate with that person. But basically, you know, the, the upshot is if somebody gives you something nice express gratitude seriously expressing gratitude in the moment saves you is so rewarding for that person for the everyone that i know who's an effortful kind of person when you do something if you could just express excitement and gratitude and try and pick out like one specific uniquely thing them about the gesture that they just did oh it's very you to notice that i like you know, X and to give that to me, it goes a huge way to really making that worth it for them. And what's to me that gratitude is effort. It's a type of effort that you're putting into, you know what I mean? And, 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 and so that works for sure. That absolutely mm-hmm. works. I was thinking of it as sort of um, in a, like a high return effort, mm-hmm. a high, so to speak, like it takes relatively little effort Yeah, yeah. to, to stop and think, wow, I'm really grateful that this other human being took time out of their life to put together something just to make me smile and now I'm smiling Mm -hmm. and like you can just say that sentence and that would be really go a long way towards making that person's day yeah and that's why they did whatever it is that they did for you in the first place is because they care about you and they wanted to see you be happy I don't know why that's hard for people necessarily that one is sort of a weird one that if you go out and you do something really amazing for someone and they're like cool thanks or like even worse like oh i couldn't take this like you couldn't we're dating (laughs) (laughs) and it's like it's the same way that somebody can't take a compliment i think that we're taught that there's some some kind of weird negative attachment to receiving things well, for sure, we do have a culture that praises humility, which I think is a big part of the compliment one. That I know a lot of people have trouble with compliments because they don't know what to say in that context because they want to say, thanks, I worked really hard on that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then they feel like they're being very prideful and people don't honestly tend to respond well to that response. If you're like, wow, you're really good at speaking. And you're like, I know, I've worked so hard at it. I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> people are like, damn, you're a dick. Like, they immediately change their mind and you are no longer good at speaking. Instead of just being proud of yourself, you're an asshole. Yeah. Right. So instead of just basically saying, I agree with your assessment, yay, you you are stuck with a cultural expectation that you have to go, oh, no, I'm not that good. But that's really sweet of you to say. Or the minimum is something like, 
Thank you. I'm glad you think that. But it's the the coffee thing. We're taught to not take things for free. Mm-hmm. Like nothing is free. I think there is something like that in our culture, but it's on more, but it's more gendered than that. I think. Like I think that women don't want to take compliments because it does mean that now I can flirt with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying it does mean that. Yeah. But I think there's you learn that it means that. Mm-hmm. But if I'm like, oh wow, you're really a good speaker, and you're like, oh thank you, then I'm like. And you're really pretty. Right. And, and would you like to go have you coffee? You want to get some dinner? <laughs> yeah. I think that that might be why we're not seeing eye to eye on this. Because my sense is that you're not allowed to take a compliment in our culture. That most people who would give you a compliment would dislike you for simply taking it and agreeing with it. Like, you know, like I mean, like, that you cannot just take it. You have to say something back that's nice mm-hmm. about them. You have to deflect the compliment. You have to diminish the compliment. Because we have a culture that says humility. Like, there is a straight up script that says humility is a virtue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that a lack of humility is undesirable. Right. And so compliments are difficult because compliments automatically negate humility and you have to display humility in receipt of a compliment. And I don't think you have to display humility in receipt of a gift. Like someone going, here's a flower, doesn't require you to go, oh, I don't deserve a flower because it's not unhumble to take a, like a like a gift mm-hmm. in our culture. Yeah. So I think it's a different, I think there's two different things that are happening. But I, but I think that there's a, a humility in question. It's a pride thing where people don't want to take something for free because it goes against their pride. Right, right. But that's the opposite. That's about having pride, not about eschewing pride, not about a public. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess you're right. I guess it is the opposite, but it kind of does the exact same thing. Yeah, it has the same effect in a different context, which is that it sort of ruins the thing. But I I, honestly, I feel like it ruins it in the opposite direction in a weird way. Like, like, I don't I'm not comfortable with compliments because I think our society expects you to to basically be humble about it. And I'm not great at that. But Chick couldn't take your coffee because she can't take a handout. But that's because she has pride. Right. Mm. So it. So like, I can't take a compliment because I might be seen as being too prideful, but she couldn't take the coffee because she might not be seen as having enough pride. Right. But I, I see, okay, I see what you're saying. So you see what I'm a, saying? A pride threshold. Like, yeah. And every, it's all based on like appropriate pride behaviors. Right. And you have to hit this sort of middle mark, this middle ground. You can't be too prideful or sort of too pathetic. Right. I guess that's the flip side of that. Like people just can't, show gratitude like we just can't be we have issue just saying thanks i think (laughs) and and just taking what's given to us well and again it does make sense that that that's difficult because we are at the like we're i mean part of our cultural constant cultural change is we're at the cusp of two or three different cultures at any given moment Mm -hmm. for sure there is a period of time i think my parents period of time honestly relatively nearby where You know, if someone does something for you, you have to do things for them. Right. And I don't think that's healthy or good, but I think it was culturally enforced almost universally. And so you have maybe growing up with that, like uh, when I was a kid and I was told that I had to write thank you cards. Hmm. Yeah. Like I wrote thank you cards to every aunt, every uncle, every year until they stopped doing Christmas presents. But not because I wanted to, because my mom would show up and throw cards at me and be like, write that thank you card to that person. Before they think you don't have manners or before they think you don't care about them or... Right. There was one official prescribed gesture for receptivity. And then it, so they did obligate you to that. Like taking the gift obligated you to that. Not that you could not take the gift also. Not that right. you could be like, can I give this back? It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because when, when my nesting partner's mother sent my kids 
presents for Christmas the first time, I said, you know, hey, make sure that the next time that we talk to her on, mm-hmm. the, on the phone that you say thank you. You know, make sure you thank her for your gifts. Well, mm-hmm. then she called on Christmas because, you know, she sent the gifts ahead of time. And she called on Christmas, which is what we were waiting on, was her to call at Christmas so we could thank her. And she called and she was very angry because she had not received thank you notes for the gifts. Interesting. Yeah, that's common. I actually had a, so there was a thing that happened with one of my aunts where they stopped sending gifts for like two years. And my mom was like, why did you stop sending my kids gifts? And she was like, well, they didn't send me thank you cards that year. And she's like, they absolutely did. I make them send you thank you cards every single time. So like our cards got lost in the mail. Mm. I think it's funny. Your mom wanted to know why they stopped giving you gifts. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I guess my aunt like didn't just didn't believe her that they got lost in the mail. Like she just mm-hmm. didn't believe that we'd sent them, but they didn't get them. They just thought we were lying about it or something. Like and they started giving us gifts again, I think after that, but like, it was such a weird that like, <laughs> if you don't send a thank you card, you never get another right. gift. Like you gave the gift for the thank you card or, or did yeah. you give, like, what did you give the gift for? Like, like are you collecting them intention? or what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's such a bizarre, it's for sure a bizarre emotion to me. I can't imagine like going shopping being like can't wait to get that thank you card on the other hand but in the same body the sending someone a thank you card and them nodding not expecting it can make somebody's day sure like i've definitely gotten a thank you card before i don't expect thank you cards i think they're you know it's a little outdated not gonna lie Mm -hmm. so i don't expect them and i've gotten a thank you card in the mail and been like oh wow like, how awesome is this? There was effort put into this. <laughs> and that's super cool. And I actually called the person and thanked them for the thank you card, which was a little redundant. But <laughs> thank you. Thank you for thanking me for thanking you for thanking me. <laughs> right. That's kind of my point, though, is that non-contractually obligated effort is so much more rewarding. Oh, right so... there. Say it again for the people in the back, Michael. <laughs> Non-contractually obligated effort is so much more rewarding. And so to some extent, that's part of the culture that you want to create in your own relationship. Even if you like effort, if you can create the cultural space where the other person doesn't feel like they're obligated to give you effort, then the effort they do give you will be so much more rewarding that they won't need to put in as much effort to make you feel good. You know, that's one of the things that I've run into is that I've been in relationships where like someone says, well, if you want me to do more, why don't you just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. And it's it's so bizarrely hollow. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. can't. I can't get anything out of it. Like, and I can get a little bit out of it where they're, but, but then the effort is just them do like, it's just limited to like the amount of effort that following instructions is mm-hmm. like, is, is what like the amount of gratitude that I have for that. Like I can't have gratitude for like their display of excitement about me because they're not excited. They're doing it because I told them to. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, Hey, I, I want you to put some effort in. Could you maybe try and make dinner plans? Like I, I, I like it would be great if, if you could show this kind of effort and then the next day they're like, do you want to go to dinner? No, yeah. no, I don't want to go to dinner because you're only doing that because I told you to do it. <laughs> That's like how much better getting gifts is than, than having a gift list. Yes. Like if you yeah. have a gift list and you just get what's on it, you're like, yay. Yay. And, or having yeah. someone and, and actually <laughs> listen to, to you having a conversation with someone else and go, oh. That's what she wants for Christmas. That's what I should get her for Christmas. Or that's what I should get her for random Tuesday. But so here's the thing, though. Like, those may be the things that we think are desirable for us personally. And those may be qualities that we should look for potentially in people and that we can rate as having value. But it's also heavily neurotypical and 
heavily biased towards and against different skill sets that people don't necessarily have control over if they ever developed. Right. Yeah. As we've discussed, I have told Lissa something and she has not remembered it seven seconds later. Mm -hmm. Like, God forbid, seven months later, seven seconds later. And that's not her fault. There's nothing that she ever did to not be able to hold information in her head. Nope. Lissa needs a gift list. You know, so the fact that I can remember everything she's ever said she wanted for the last 10 years and she can't remember anything, to some extent, like, if she gets me anything, the amount of effort that went into that was monumental. Like, right. she had to start from scratch. Yeah. She had all I had to research gift lists. She had to think of those gift lists applied to me. Like, or, or even go out of the way to ask somebody else. Right. Or either ask other people what I might like. Right. You know, it's not as simple for her, you know. And so that's the other problem is that effort looks different. You know, it's hard to recognize what might be effort for somebody else or what might be what level of effort. Like, because you're ascribing, usually, again, we, we default to, and it's the worst default. It's that everyone does it until they learn not to do it. But all everybody's default until someone comes along and t- teaches them better is to read everyone else's actions as if it was themselves doing it. Mm, yeah. Because that's what we know. Well, if I got you this gift, it means I hate you and didn't even bother spending five minutes thinking about you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it is not what it means if that person got you this gift. And that's mm-hmm. what you need to think through. You need to think through what did it mean to them? What did it take for them to get that gift in front of me? Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, so that's the thing is what is that what does that look like? And there's also a lot of effort that is hard to keep remembering is effort. Like humans are really bad about getting the same thing over and over again and recognizing it as a new thing. So, you know, n- this is not for Mandy, but if you're in the kind of relationship where, you know, the other person is doing something like carrying the financial weight and they do go and work a job that they don't, I mean, maybe they like it, maybe they don't, but they don't, but you know, they go and they work a really long work week every week. And you don't work as much partly because they're helping to pay bills and you have all this time to do fun things for them. It's hard to remember that in a sense, they're spending just as much time on you as you are on them because they're spending it on work. Yeah. Yeah. And work doesn't feel like you. But in a world where, again, you'll start without money, it sort of is. (laughs) (laughs) The time you have to put that effort in may well come from the fact that the other person works, you know, this extra time and space. And creates those spaces for you. But that's, it's one of those ones that's really hard. Like, it's really hard to keep feeling grateful for that. Because it's constant. Yeah. It comes to the backdrop of your life. It's like mm-hmm. a color It just in becomes the room default. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. 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 You know, so it doesn't feel like a lot of what looks like excitement is just coming, is the unexpected. Most of what we read as effort is the unexpected. Mm-hmm. So slow plotting day-to-day effort is just as hard and in many cases harder because it's actually not fun it's not interesting it's not exciting right it's you can't you don't you don't get to get up in the morning and go ooh if i go to work today my partner is going to feel really good about how they can eat tonight yeah <laughs> like yeah. that's it's it's harder to get motivated for so in a lot of ways it can be very hard I don't know. Effort just looks so different for so many people like people will talk about like for some people effort is coming to your family functions because they are heavily introverted people who have social anxiety mm-hmm. and the amount of effort that it takes them to come to your Christmas could be monumental. Yeah. And it could be more than all the effort you put into getting them all of their gifts. And then you could be sitting there going, well, you didn't get me very good gifts and yet they're there at your Christmas. Yeah. Yep. So for me, a lot of the key was as much as when I was saying earlier that if you can practice gratitude and gratitude's so good for you, first of all, just mm-hmm. trying to look at each thing that happens to you and go, how can I be grateful for this? really Mm -hmm. changes the way that you feel 
about life and there's one of those really simple reprogram your brain things is to wake up every morning and think of 10 things you're grateful for and it will just literally change the way you think it's bizarre yeah well it turns a lot of your negativity positive yeah Mm -hmm. like where we're not focusing on all the shit but we're focusing on all the things that we should be thankful for if you look at what your partner is doing and you think about each of those things in terms of gratitude and you try and figure out what each thing takes them you know how difficult is that for you you also got to think about how he will do things so again to go back to you know i know i i hope i don't like i don't think i make lissa embarrassed but (laughs) talk about her a lot but (laughs) we were talking about about how adhd people remember to do things and the answer in most cases is worry interesting right that the way that they remember things is they're super worried about them all the time they're stressed about them constantly that stress is the primary method by which people with adhd remember tasks because they just Mm -hmm. attach these massive massive balls of stress to them and she can almost never remember that i need things which was very frustrating until i realized that it told you something very important which is that i don't stress her oh Interesting. You know, that she's not worried that I'm going to be mad at her for not doing stuff. And because of that, she's just never going to remember to do stuff. And I would not rather she was scared to forget to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want her to be scared of me or to be a stress that she has to deal with. Right. Yeah. And so you have to think about what you're really asking from people sometimes. Like, what would it take for that person to do the kind of effort that you wish that you're assigning to them? And would you really want them to do that? Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Michael. Yeah, I really like that. And if you find that you wouldn't, it often makes it a lot easier to take. Like ever since then, it's been, I mean, I, I'm still working with her on how we can find systems that are non-stressful, but I'm so willing to spend as much time as possible necessary to find systems that are non-stressful to get small amounts of those events into my life. And it's so much more, like, I, like whenever I'm like, oh, she forgot me again, I can be like, well, at least she's not worried about it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's one thing she's not terrified of. You know, she's about to raise two kids now and get the work held down and just all that on her mind and a hundred other things. And she's not staying up at night being like, oh, I think Michael's going to leave me or I think Michael's not happy with me or I think Michael needs me to do something for him to be happy. Mm, yeah, that's rather profound. I mean, like, yeah. So in this case, I think, I mean, obviously communication is what you're going to need to find it. But I think the, the answer for me is learning more about your partner is how you remove resentment for me. Or if you if you learn more about them and it turns out you should be resentful, then you break up with them, right? Like if it turns out they just don't care and it's not a lot of effort for them and they just it doesn't really matter to them if you're happy um, mm-hmm. and that and it matters to you if you have that kind of partner that it matters to you, then, <laughs> then you know, maybe you guys aren't compatible. But you'll either find out you're not compatible or you'll find out that there's so much going on behind the scenes in their mind that's different than your mind, that their skills are different than your skills. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I think that helps, can help, is to try and find the things that they are good at and that are easy for them, you know, and ask for those things. Because we know that it is important to ask for what you want. Despite what we said earlier about how it's not fun for someone to do exactly what you tell them to do, you have to ask for what you want. If you do not ask for what you want, you do not express why the problems you have are the problems you have. It is entirely on you that no one's doing anything at that point because they don't even know there's a problem. Right. And you can't just say that you want effort because like we said, <laughs> effort <laughs> what looks does that different. Mean? 
Right. It looks different to different people in different situations. You need to be specific as to what types of effort you want to see. Right. What kind of things would count as effort? What kind of goals mm-hmm. are you looking for? Um, one thing that worked really well for for Lissa and I is was story writing. That, you know, I was saying I want a certain kind of growth, a certain kind of relationship growth. And Lissa was like, I don't like I don't know what that means. Can you write me like write me a story, like a fantasy story that's like like what that would look like to you you know and i wrote like a scene story that was like at this point in the future this is what we're doing and you know and i did this and then you do this and then you do this and she was like oh i didn't understand like what you were talking about before but i can see in this story what it is that you are interested in and like how you mm-hmm. want to create these like rituals and get to know me and sort of build our future in a way that works for both of us and you know like and so that kind of stuff is very helpful that direct communication can be very difficult so if you ever try to get into education the very first thing they teach you is if you try and teach a person something and they don't understand it you say it in a different way right and mm-hmm. one of the really wonderful things about the minority rights and feminism and lgbtqia plus movement has been the reintroduction of alternate ways of knowing and sharing information. And one of the primary ones has been through like storytelling, through poetry, through songs. And so all of these things are resources that you can use because you are making the assumption that the other person even knows what you're talking about. And it's not a great assumption. Like, (laughs) there's a really good chance that if you ask them, can you write me a story about someone doing something really effortful for someone else? And then you read that story, you'd be like, man, I would have never realized that that was effort for you. Right. You know, and so there are these other approaches that you can use if you're having trouble bridging that gap linguistically beyond simply just asking but like mandy said you got to be you got to be really specific and you may even have to go outside of the way you normally use words to be specific enough (laughs) to get what you actually want right all right so i think we've been doing this long enough that we're at more or less bullet points and takeaways so let me see if i can i can go through this real quick so the most important thing i think is to remember that our society has told us that you need to sell yourself to your relationships, to your partners at an equal level that you shouldn't even try and associate with people that you think are quote unquote above you, whatever metric you're using, because they'll just leave you and not care about you because you're not good enough. And the fact is that there's nothing like that for people. People are all unique and inside of our framework. We're all a living possibility that could be anything. So you should leave it to the people in your life to decide if they want you in their life. And if you feel like you're not sure where that fits, maybe ask them, you know, say like, what is it you get from spending time with me is, you know, are you still enjoying spending time with me, that sort of thing, rather than making decisions about the fact that they're, it's not worth it for them. And if you can take a page out of Sarah's book, and just ride that shit. If you feel like they're too good for you, but you're having a great time, just enjoy it. Enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Just enjoy it. Because, you know, you never know. That's what Lissa has said, she said that when we started dating, that she just always assumed I was going to break up with her because I wasn't good enough for her, or she wasn't good enough for me. But she wanted to see how long it would last, and we're 10 years later, 12 years later, two kids. (laughs) Yeah. So the answer was, a really long time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And as Mandy said, it should be the other person's decision. They should get to decide what they enjoy. Unless there's like a clinical situation. Like if they've been ruled incompetent by by a psychiatrist in a court, Okay, well, maybe then talk to somebody else, like the psychiatrist, about if you should be around. But 
But yeah. for the most part, it should be their decision unless you think there's something significant and clinical going on. And at that case, go to counseling and then the counselor will tell you if there's something significant and clinical going on. Because you yeah. might be in a toxic relationship where you shouldn't be around them because you are in fact hurting them and it's codependent or, you know, it's whatever. But that's a professional level situation. And in a professional level situation, you should be talking with a professional, not deciding for yourself that you have a neurosis or whatever. Right. So if you suspect that, I think you have the right to suspect that. I think you have the right to check it out. But I think you should let the other person decide unless you have, again, sort of clinical evidence that you should not let the other person decide. Because nine times out of ten, that person's going to know what's best for them. Oh, and you don't know what they get out of it. You just yeah. don't have a clue what they enjoy out of it. Like my friend that I was talking about, most of what I enjoy about him are the very things that he thinks make him boring. You know, he's like, well, I never yeah. really do anything. You like boring. And I never really <laughs> go anywhere. I do like boring, but I also like people who are just ready to cowboy up. You know, so you can call him like anytime and be like, hey, man, I'm doing some crazy shit. You want to come? He's like, sure. And you can also call him up and be like, <laughs> sure, I'm doing I some boring shit. You want to come? <laughs> he's like, yeah, sure. Like, that shit's great. Like, whatever you're into, he's fucking there to help because it's better than nothing. Like, right. that's I, fucking awesome for me. Like, so I could see a lot of people really enjoying that. I could see a lot yeah. of potential partners being like, man, you want to be there for all my shit? Fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm into that. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know people that want you to be into things and they want to know what you're into and they want to come with you on your shit. But I also know people who just have so much shit, they don't need that. They just yeah. want someone to come with them on their shit. You know, so yeah. like... You don't you don't know what's valuable to other people because you're also you're just different people. So yeah. like what triggers your reward centers could be so different than what triggers their reward centers that things that you just think of as being mundane or boring or pointless could be super exciting to them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. So let them decide. Yeah, and talk mm-hmm. about it. Like if you're really insecure about it, talk to them about it. Like do what? you enjoy Communicate. hanging out with me? Yeah. No. <laughs> you enjoy hanging out with me? Do you know? Am I? Next is that effort looks different to different people. In different situations. Mm-hmm. And this is part of what that whole love languages fad is about. So people love mm-hmm. the love languages. And I think I might have said before I don't love the love languages. I really don't. I don't because they flatten a very complex issue down to what amounts to like a Zodiac sort of scenario. Like you have mm-hmm. six options and you really only have two of those six options. And, and, and really... The, the entirety of that could be said in the sentence, pay people, you have to pay people in their own currency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and you have to look at what it costs people to pay you. Like, those are the two things you need to think about in these sorts of effort scenarios. You have to be choosing, trying your best to give people stuff that they can read as, as valuable. And when people give you stuff, you have to be trying your best to see how much it costs them to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And that, that's how you sort of meet each other halfway there as well. That makes people more grateful for stuff maybe they didn't want (laughs) or they didn't want as much or you didn't create enough of. And it makes people more likely to give stuff that other people will be able to feel and feel gratitude for. Yeah. Yes. So then the the next thing after that is if you're going to do all this and you still don't feel good about what you're getting from the other person, maybe you're just not compatible. Or maybe you have to talk to them about the possibility that you're not compatible and see if you guys can work towards being more compatible. Because there's nothing wrong with working towards that goal if you both want it. Right. You know, so if you're like, well, we like a lot of things about each other, but we're hurting right now because we're not compatible in in this particular dimension and we both want to work towards that, cool. You know, chances are the other person's putting forth effort, but you're not reading it for one reason or another because, you know, again, from the two earlier reasons. Mm -hmm. And love does not equal compatibility. Yeah. Love doesn't Mm, equal compatibility uh, and compatibility does not equal value. It is not a value statement for or against you that someone loves you. 
It does not make you better or worse. Love is great. Love is amazing, but it is not a judgment about how good you are as a person. And compatibility is also great. Compatibility is also amazing. And it is not, not a, a judgment idea. about how good you are as a person. Right. You know, in fact, if you wanted to look at traditional metrics of quality, so to speak, the nature of a bell curve means that the higher up the bell curve you are, the less people you're compatible with. I mean, just by definition, right? So if you were going to mm-hmm. be like, well, the strongest person on the planet or the most attractive person on the planet, that's going to be less people you're compatible with by the nature of the bell curve. The smartest person on the planet, the wittiest, the whatever, the most fun, the most mm-hmm. energetic, the person who needs the least sleep, whatever it is, like right. the things that we would normally, that like that conventionally we, we say are the thing we're grading on actually make you less compatible with people, the more of those things that you have. So, <laughs> so it doesn't mean... You don't have those things. But that aside, it doesn't matter if you have those things. Those are not actual objective ethical values. Right. Those are totally subjective cultural scripts about what counts as good. And what's really good is what makes you f- happy. So if those aren't the things that just make you happy, then those things don't matter. What? Did you just say happiness is what matters, Michael? Mm-hmm. I did. That's what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what you should be looking for is that the other person makes you happy. And that's why you also cannot tell people they're out of your league because only they can tell you if you make them happy. Right. And that's the actual trade. The actual trade is both of us should make the other person's life better. By the way, not the Mm -hmm. same amount of better because that doesn't matter. But just better. Better enough that the other person wants to spend the time on it. That's it. Yes. If the amount of better you make my life is worth the amount of time I spend on that better then I am happy in our relationship and you shouldn't be worried about me about not being good enough for me. And mm-hmm. I get to decide that. Right. And the only person that can decide that is me. Mm-hmm. You can't come to me and go, I'm not good enough for you. I mean, you can, but you're saying nonsense words. They don't actually bear on anything. You don't know how I feel. <laughs> but so if you do believe that, if you do think that there's people that you're not good enough for, you should go look to get professional counseling about that feeling because there's no such thing as that and that means that you've absorbed some very toxic cultural scripts and probably a significant amount of trauma that you have not yet worked through right and granted maybe you're not in a position where you have the time or ability to get that help but again like we always say put it on your to-do list even if it's five years out right even if you're like all right my to-do list is get a job that allows me to have uh healthcare for mental work but you know most healthcare does include like counseling and stuff at really really reasonable co-pays and you know through the ACA most people have some form of healthcare now so chances are you have some form of insurance that would allow you to do that and again that's one of those things that you can get counseling for even without finding a poly-friendly counselor it's great if you can find one but just going to talk to someone about how you don't feel good enough for people is a thing that you can do with any counselor that's like counseling 101 so mm-hmm. yeah, you are absolutely good enough for other people. It is their, it is them who will enjoy or not enjoy you, but enjoying and not enjoying you are not value judgments. They're not about you being good enough. It's about a compatibility. It's about shared interests. When Shared interests is just random. Like what things did you get into when you were seven does not determine your value as an adult. It just determines yeah. how much you'll be able to share with certain specific people. Don't be resentful if you put out effort and the other person doesn't put out effort because you should only be putting out effort where the effort is built into the reward for you. That what you get out of it is built on what you put into it. Now, granted, that can be based on their response. So, like, if you start dating someone and you do a small thing and they're like, holy shit, that was amazing, and that makes you feel great, (laughs) and that's why you do it, and they do that every time, that's fine. And if they do it less and then you do less effort, also fine. Because that's actually 
part of the system that you clearly see there. Right. But if you're putting in effort and they're never responding the way that you wanted, the, like, and they're not responding, don't just keep putting in effort and keep expecting them to behave differently. Like, that, you're going to get resentful, but th- that's entirely on you. <laughs> yeah, you know, mm-hmm. the, you're going to get resentful of that, but that's actually totally on you because they never did that. They right. never responded the way you were hoping that they would respond. And your thought was, well, I'll just keep doing more of it. And at a certain threshold, then they'll give me what I want. And what you should do is you should talk to them. You should say, hey, I've noticed that. I'm doing a lot of things because I'm very excited about you. And I, I, I assume you probably are doing something because you're excited about me, but I'm having trouble reading it. So maybe we're not speaking the same language. Can we talk about how you feel about me, what you've been doing in your mind that makes that make sense, what a relationship should look like, what you want out of the relationship, what I want out of the relationship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and again, you might discover you're incompatible and you might discover that you're just talking past each other. Because I think that's what mostly ends up happening is you find out that the other person is actually doing a ton for you. Can I just say, I fucking love those conversations because you start to learn that, oh, I'm more important to this person than I think I am when you're doubting Mm -hmm. yourself and wondering what's going on. They're the best. Yeah, and that you can have those conversations at any point in a relationship. The conversation Seriously. I was just talking about that was a breakthrough was like four weeks ago. And yeah. 12 years and two kids into a relationship, you can still have those conversations and be like, I yeah. never knew that you felt that way. What? Right. How? How? Because language is terrible. Because language is not <laughs> effective. It does not really tell people things. I have 100% never understood when people are like, I wish we were telepathic. I'm like, bitch, we are telepathic. What do you think it's called when you have an organ that lets you send information to other people through the air? That's telepathy. If we had telepathy, it would have the same exact problems as speaking. Speaking is exactly telepathy. We give you bits and pieces of what's in our mind, and you have to guess the rest of it. Like, we developed a whole extra organ to be able to tell you what was in our brain. That is exactly the definition of telepathy. Stop asking for it. We already have it, and it isn't great. (laughs) <laughs> it's just it super perfect? super super filtered right now yeah it's crazy filtered and so mm-hmm. you just do not trust language you always need more conversations i don't care how much you've talked to a person you will talk to them more tomorrow and learn some shit you never learned about them like yeah not, not only that but i mean it takes longer to describe a five minute part of my life than it took to live the five minute part of my life if i'm going to tell you all the mm-hmm. details Right. Right. And so at any moment that you've met someone, you met them when they were like 30 and started hearing stories then. You will never get all the stories unless you live with them and never leave their side for the next 30 years. And then they only talk about their past for the next 30 years. Like that's the only way that's going to happen. And you're never going to do that. So you're always going to be learning about them. And they're also changing constantly. So even if you had that shit down, like I knew exactly who you were when we met. Okay, great. That was 12 years ago. Who am I today? totally different you have to keep having Mm -hmm. those conversations and you cannot assume you know a person whenever someone's like i know my partner you do not know your partner you can't you can't know people and even and that the whole idea of knowing people is an objectifying an objectifying construct right because we're constantly changing we're constantly growing Mm -hmm. and you can't hold us to what we were yesterday anyway right i think that was all the bullet points yeah yeah yeah. i think so okay great so then that's definitely enough tape so i call that (laughs) end of day (laughs) end of line man End of thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening mm-hmm. to thank you. Michael helping me work out the differences <laughs> between effort and gratitude of effort and just plain gratitude. It's hard. It's all incredibly complex. Everything is way more complex than it feels like it ought to be. Everything mm-hmm. sounds simple and nothing is. Amen. <laughs> but, all right. you know, keep it complex. Night, everybody. <laughs> 
Night. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.